Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 as we continue in our series in Romans. Uh, Chapter 8 is full of Paul's theology and teaching on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and we've been looking at that uh, for the last few weeks. We'll continue. We should get through Romans 8 by uh, early to mid-October, and then we'll begin in chapter 9. But Romans 8, specifically, Paul is talking to us and teaching us about the fact that we're not alone, that God doesn't just save us and then kind of pat us on the head and say, well, I, ho- I hope you make it to heaven someday. I've got busy work elsewhere, but rather God indwells us with his spirit. And so we're going to continue to, to flesh that out a little bit this morning in verses 18 uh, through 27 in, in, uh, in just a minute. Uh, in January of 1969, three days before Super Bowl III, uh, when the New York Jets were going to play the, uh, the then Baltimore Colts for the, uh, for the Super Bowl championship. Three days before that happened, a young upstart quarterback named Joe Namath guaranteed victory. Uh, there was, there, he was at a press conference. There was a guy in the crowd that was heckling him and kind of making fun of him. And he said, I guarantee you that the Jets are going to beat the Colts. And sure enough, three days later, the end of the game, 16 to 7, uh, the, the huge underdog New York Jets had upset uh, the Baltimore Colts. Now, that was a bold prediction. Uh, but at the end of the day, it didn't really matter which way it went. You know, if, if Joe Namath is right, then he can kind of pat himself on his back the rest of the life and say, you know, look what a great, I called it, you know, and maybe he made some money for Jets fans who bet on the Jets when maybe they would have not bet on them. But nothing of serious significance would have happened if he had been wrong. You know, the, the world would not have stopped. People's lives wouldn't have been all that uh, impacted. So bold prediction, yes, but, but serious consequences, not really. Well, as I said in Romans 8, Paul is teaching us about the life that believers have through Christ in uh, in Christ through the Holy Spirit, that our relationship with God is founded upon salvation through Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. But there's actually a new life that indwells the believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul's also been teaching us that the Holy Spirit empowers us to battle sin, to to deal with the sinful uh, nature that still remains in us, that is kind of dying a slow death and doesn't give in or give up easily. And Paul has reminded us that the Spirit actually empowers us to deal with sin. And last Sunday we saw that Paul identifies the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So the, the Holy Spirit actually brings us into intimacy with God the Father. But now, in verse 18 of this text, as we're going to see this morning, Paul makes just an audacious claim, an amazing statement that, that on the face of it looks uh, almost arrogant to the point uh, of, of silliness. Paul's claim is that, that in this life and the, and the future life of every disciple of Jesus, uh, in, wrapped up in the statement that he uses, our credibility is on the line. Uh, our choice to follow Christ is on the line. Paul's going to make a, a bold statement. And if he's right, then praise God and, and we can grow and learn from his teaching. But if he's wrong, we're in big trouble. So let's look at this bold claim. We're going to read all the verses. Uh, the claim is in 18, and, and we'll come back and, and address that. Uh, but Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27, hear the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons 
of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to study your word this morning, we come from a variety of different backgrounds, from a variety of different circumstances. Uh, Lord, some of us come this morning filled with great joy. Uh, uh, the week past was one in which we, we saw your hand working in our lives. Uh, it was a week in which uh, there were successes to, uh, to be appreciated. There were uh, things that happened in our families that, that brought us great contentment, thankfulness. Father, others of us have had weeks that were filled with great struggle and great pain, uh, we, a week that had more questions than it, it had answers. And Father, maybe for, for many of us, we had some of both. Father, every person in this room comes needing to understand your word. We have that in common, regardless of our, of our different backgrounds, our different uh, experiences in life. There isn't a person in this room uh, from the one who will deliver the message to all who will hear that doesn't need the power of God in our lives. Lord, we are weak. We are frail. We are fallible. Our thinking is limited. Our worship at times is uh, not only less than should be desired, but is hollow and empty. So, Lord, we come this morning seeking your face. We come this morning longing for your truth and for your power in our lives. Lord Jesus, we come to, to sit at your feet and to hear your word. What I have to say is, is of no importance, of no value, is no, no better than anyone else's philosophy or idea. So, Lord Jesus, if it is the, the word of man that we hear, then, then we waste our time. But I pray that we would worship you in our minds and in our intellect and that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide this conversation, this interaction with the living word of God. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I pray that you would not let me stand in the way of your people gathered together in this place hearing your word. We pray that your spirit would indwell us and teach us by your grace and your mercy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, verse 18 offers this pretty astounding uh, assertion. Let's, uh, let's look at the verse one more time. Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Now, you might look at that on the surface and, and you might say, well, well, what's the big deal? And others of you might grasp it pretty quickly. But what Paul is saying here is that 
disciples of Jesus, when he uses that, that term, the, the sufferings of the present time, he, he's talking about the sufferings of believers. He's talking about those who have put their faith in Christ. He, he's saying that disciples of Jesus must respond to suffering based on God's promises. If we go to that next screen for just a second. He's, he's calling those who follow Jesus to look at their suffering in a certain way. To look at their suffering, not, not on how our, our culture explains it or defines it, but rather on God's promises. So another way to put it is the coming glory so far outweighs our suffering to make the present struggles insignificant by comparison. Now think about that for a minute. That's either an incredibly insensitive statement and ignores true human suffering, uh, or, or it is misguided, or, it's, or there's some truth there that needs to be captured in our minds. But for Paul to suggest that, that this suffering that we experience in our life uh, is simply not worth even talking about in the same sentence in which we talk about the glory of God seems abrasive. It, it seems that Paul, uh, you probably wouldn't want him to be the pastor of care in your congregation. You wouldn't necessarily want this guy walking into your hospital room when you've just gotten really bad news. It seems that, that Paul doesn't necessarily have a grasp on what human suffering is all about. And I think there are three possible reactions to what Paul says this morning, and I'm, I'm going to divide the sermon in these three uh, reactions. The first is this, that, that Paul has lost touch with reality, that Paul hasn't been by a hospital bed lately, or Paul in some way has completely missed uh, the struggle that goes on all around him. Maybe he's just lost touch with reality. The, the second reaction could be that Paul's never suffered himself. He doesn't understand uh, the statement he's making because he has never experienced any kind of significant loss in his own life. He's never had those moments where he's been up in the middle of the night with no answers, with no understanding and, and no words to say, just, just kind of face down on the floor. Maybe Paul's led a charmed life and, and kind of from his high, lofty, academic, spiritual tower, he looks down and, and, and having never experienced suffering, kind of passes judgment on the rest of us. That's the second reaction that could be. The third reaction is that Paul's right. And there's something behind his statement that we need to see uh, as followers of Christ and as those who are here this morning maybe wondering what it means to follow Jesus. Well, let's look at those th three reactions. Uh, and see what we can find. The first one says that, that Paul has lost touch with reality. Now, when we talk about reality in this particular passage, we're going to look at how Paul views the world, what he says about the world. We're also going to look at what Paul says about, about the human life experience of disciples of Jesus. Uh, does Paul, is Paul really in touch with what's going on around him? Well, in verse 20, Paul says that the creation was subject to futility, that the creation was subjected to futility. In verse 21, Paul says that, that the, the creation is in bondage to corruption. Now, I'm not going to put the, the passage on the screen, but I'm going to go back for you just a minute uh, to Genesis chapter 3, where Paul uh, bases this, this statement not only on his observation that the physical world around him is, is broken, but also on how it all began. And because of man's sin, as God is passing judgment, one of the things that God says to Adam is this, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. 
and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. God says to Paul, or God says to Adam, I made this perfect planet, and you're, you've been in perfect harmony with creation, but now that's broken. And you're going to plant seeds, and what's going to come up is thorns and thistles. Paul goes on to explain it uh, in verse 22 by saying, creation is now groaning in the pains of childbirth. Groaning in the, the pains of childbirth. Uh, I heard about the daughter of one of our elders who, who lives up in Seattle, uh, who just gave birth to, to a little one, and 55 hours of labor. Oh my goodness, I can't even begin to get my mind around that. We have, we have three children, and all three of our kids' uh, labors were extremely difficult, very, very difficult, and I think they were hard for Cindy too. But um, just, boy, I was exhausted when we, were, when we were done. Most of the women in this church should probably bring, like, tomatoes and raw lettuce and stuff when I say stuff like that and just, just throw it at me. Obviously, I'm, I'm speaking of Cindy's experience and not mine. But anybody who's been through that knows, oh, my goodness, they know that groaning. They know it's very, very real, so real you can touch it. And you, you know, you look at the headlines and you see the brokenness of our world. You know, we look at everything we've experienced just in the state of Missouri this year. We, our most recent Joplin team just got back last night from serving in Joplin where a tornado, you know, wipes out half of a city. You look at the floods and pestilence and earthquakes and all kinds of, of natural disasters. And, and you must conclude when you look at, at Paul's understanding of this that he hasn't lost touch with reality. He understands Paul's accurate in his description of the world. But what about our human experience? Maybe, maybe Paul gets the world, but he's lost touch with what really happens in the lives of disciples of Jesus. So look at, let's look at what he says uh, on that frame. If we go to the next slide, please. He says of disciples of Jesus in verse 23, he says the believers are groaning inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly, the redemption of our bodies. There's, there's that word groaning again. Paul says that, that believers, that disciples of Jesus, were groaning as we await eagerly that the life for, for the redeemed, the life for, for the children of God, the sons and daughters of God, is not void of troubles that are common to mankind. If, if you look just within the, the Green Tree Community Church family, and you take just the last seven days, you know, we can, we can look at, at what the experience has been just in our little small part of the kingdom of God. And all kinds of struggles, all kinds of challenges are right in our very midst, whether they're health issues, people struggling with cancer and other illnesses, whether marriage uh, struggles and relational uh, challenges that are in our lives. It's very clear that, that being a Christian does not put you in a kind of a safe place over here where the world can't touch you. But rather, Christians are, are right smack dab in the middle of the struggle. And so as Paul observes the community of faith, he says, we're groaning inwardly as we await the redemption of our bodies. I wonder if when Paul wrote that, if, if he had maybe, you know, been through, uh, been through something where his body was just kind of, you know, breaking down on him a little bit. This book is written uh, later on in Paul's life, uh, just a few short years before he, before he was killed for his faith. And perhaps Paul's like, you know what? My back just doesn't work the way it used to. Man, my, my knees, maybe someday they'll come up with a thing called a knee replacement, but I can, I can, I can hardly get up the steps. Paul understands, and he, and he points out the fact that believers are going through the same kind of experience. He says in, in verse 25, 
we hope for what we do not see. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience, Paul says. Paul says this life is a test of faith. It is a long race with many obstacles. Probably every Christian in this room has had what we would call the mountaintop experience where you go, man, God has been right there. He's right next to me. I feel his presence. I feel the joy of my salvation. Uh, I couldn't be in a more, uh, a more peaceful state of mind. I may not even be able to explain why, but, but, it, but I know it's because God is near and God is dear. And he's precious to me at this moment. And probably every disciple in this room has also had the experience where like David crying out in the Psalms, God, where are you? Why do you stand far off? Why do you not listen to my prayers and my cries? My longing that is deep within my soul. Paul says, I understand that we are faced with the same issues that face all of mankind. And I also understand that our hope And our trust is a long, long journey of faith. Friends, Paul has not lost touch with reality. Paul understands not only the brokenness of the world, but he also understands the brokenness and the challenges that we face in our life and our relationship with Jesus Christ. I would suggest that Paul is more in touch with reality than many of his critics and many false religions of his day and our day that say, you know, all the pain and all the suffering is just an illusion. If you can just wrestle that to the ground and make your mind stronger, you'll see that everything is really okay. And Paul says, you're, you're not dealing in reality. If you look around, it is a struggle. But maybe Paul's just observing from, like I said, kind of his ivory tower. Has Paul ever suffered himself? You know, perhaps Paul just isn't, isn't used to or doesn't know what real suffering is all about. Well, we're going to find that's not accurate either. Look at how Paul describes the suffering of the Christian community. We groan inwardly. This isn't underlined in, in, in your Bible, by the way. Those are my underlines. We groan inwardly. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Verse 26, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Paul puts himself right smack dab in the middle of the struggle. Paul includes himself as one who groans. Paul includes himself as one who is weak. Now, are these just platitudes? Is Paul just trying to kind of get close to us and say, gosh, I really know what it's like, but, but he really hasn't had that experience himself? You know, the good, the good communicator, the good, the good preacher wants to kind of get next to the folks who are listening and say, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. Is that Paul just kind of trying to manipulate our emotions a little bit to, to make us think that he's had similar experiences to ours? But as a super apostle, maybe he's never really struggled in that way. Well, I'm not going to put that passage on the screen, 2 Corinthians 11, but I want you to note it. And I am going to read it for you because Paul describes some of the experiences of his life. Uh, 2 Corinthians is is probably about two-thirds of the way through uh, Paul's missionary pastoral life. And he's recounting to the folks in Corinth some of his human experiences as a church planter, as a pastor who had traveled around uh, the near east of the Mediterranean preaching the gospel of Jesus. And he says this, um, I, I come at a far greater loss, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and by that he doesn't mean Stone the way a lot of you think stone means. 
I did that once myself. Um, he's talking about people trying to kill him with a bunch of rocks, okay? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift on the open sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers and dangers from robbers. Dangers from my own people. Danger from the Gentiles and danger in the city and danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. And toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst. Often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? To suggest that the Apostle Paul is is offering platitudes and doesn't understand uh, the struggle of the, the Christian community of disciples of Jesus would be a severe error on our part. Again, much like his reality with the world and with the life of disciples, the apostle is more acquainted with suffering than most Christians uh, ever will be in their lifetime. There's a story that was told of an army chaplain who had retired, but he continued to go to a local hospital and visit soldiers who were coming back from overseas who had been wounded and hurt in battle. Uh, And he arrived at the, the bedside of one young man Uh, who had been uh, injured in a mine explosion, and he'd lost part of one of his legs just above the knee. Uh, And when the young man woke up, he saw this older gentleman sitting across from him. And the older gentleman began to, he gave him his name and said, you know, I'm a a retired chaplain, but I still like to visit, and I'm so sorry for your loss, and began to share and and offer compassion. Uh, And the man who, who just had this experience was filled with angst and with indignity and with pain, which is obviously very understandable. And he looked at the old man. He said, what could you possibly know about my experience? At which point, the the older gentleman had a little sofa, a little little stool in front of him, reached out and pulled his artificial leg up and set it on the stool. And he said, more than you could ever know, son. And that began a relationship that led that young man to Christ. Why? Because the old chaplain understood what it meant to suffer. He wasn't there to just pat him on the head and say, you know what, that's too bad, I'm so sorry. He was there as a fellow wounded soldier to say, I know the pain. I get it. I understand it. For those of us who would read Scripture and say, you know, it's written by a bunch of people that just don't understand my struggles, perhaps we need to rethink that conclusion. Paul understands the brokenness of the world. He's in touch with reality. Paul also understood firsthand what it means to suffer. Which leads me to the third response. Perhaps Paul's correct. Maybe what he said was right. He's given us an honest appraisal of the world. He's freely acknowledged believers' suffering, but he also knows that simultaneously something else is going on all the time. Because just as the cosmos and disciples groan, there is something spiritually profound taking place that uses that exact same word, that allows us to see the heart and the, and the soul of God for his people through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in verse 26, likewise, or at the same time, or, or running on parallel tracks might be a way to look at it. So while, while the world, while creation is groaning, while believers are groaning at that same moment, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit of God does not abandon us. He does not come and go as some would teach. 
There, there's part of the Christian community that has the erroneous theology that the Spirit is present sometimes, but He's not present at other times. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus, the only way that happened in the first place was when the Holy Spirit indwelled your heart and gave you the power to put your faith in Christ. And He will not abandon you ever. He is with you every moment of every day. What has to happen is my trust in him needs to grow more. Not that he needs to be more present. He is there. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And we have to be honest about our weaknesses, right? We like to think, you know, we we want to put on a good face. We've got it all figured out. If I can't get it done on my own strength, then maybe I'll get around to praying. Unfortunately, that's the philosophy of a lot of us, myself included. Somebody comes to me with a problem and my knee-jerk reaction ought to be to fall on my knees and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. But you know, I scratch my head and I offer a bunch of solutions that don't work and then I remember that and then I finally get on my knees and say, okay, Lord, I gotta, I gotta hand this over to you. Why am I not quicker to acknowledge my weakness? A lot of people have heard the name of Corrie ten Boom and know her story of, uh, in the book, The Hiding Place, where her family in Holland was very active in, in helping Jews escape from, the, from Nazi imprisonment of concentration camps during World War II. She was eventually captured. She and her sister were put into a prison camp. Her sister died at that prison camp. But years later, she was confronted uh, at, a, at a place where she was speaking about the grace of God. She was confronted with the sergeant from, the, from the, the camp who had beaten her so badly and had mistreated her so badly. And she, and she describes the, the sergeant walking forward to her, and she's just filled with all of those memories and went right back to that place in anger and hatred and resentment. And that, that sergeant came up and, and said, you know, said, I, I've become a believer in Jesus. I've become a disciple of Jesus. Would you forgive me? And, and she writes in her, in her thoughts, there's no way in the world I could have forgiven him at that moment. I did not have it within me. But I heard the words coming out of my mouth as the Spirit of God strengthened me in, in my weakness. Friends, it's exactly when we understand that we are weak that we begin to appreciate what Paul is saying here. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's not like a handyman who comes and fixes a faucet. It's the one, the paramedic who comes when we're lying on the ground and we're bleeding emotionally and spiritually because of the wounds that we've received in our life. And the Spirit of God is there to say, child, I'm with you. I'll pick you up. I'll bandage you. I will bring you to spiritual health. The the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He will not abandon us. Then he says, the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. I've been, I've been wrestling with this phrase for actually for a long time in my life, and I've, I've re-wrestled with it uh, this week. I don't know that I can explain it to you. I really don't. I, I think there are times when I kind of come in to the, I said the pulpit. This isn't really a pulpit. Um, but there were a time when I come up here and I feel very confident that God's given me a clear understanding of his word. This is a phrase that I continue to wrestle with and, and will for many years. But what it says is that there's a limitation... I think part of what it says is there's a limitation of my thinking, even in my prayer life, that my prayer life only goes so far because of my flesh. And there are moments when I articulate either the wrong prayer or a prayer that is not sufficient. It doesn't go far enough. I don't have enough understanding of of the word of God, or I don't have enough comprehension from a spiritual perspective what is going on. And in those moments when I'm speechless, when I can't find the words, the spirit of God groans to the Father in a way that says he knows my pain. He knows my questions. He knows my hurt even better than I. And he's able to continue the conversation with the Father. 
on my behalf. He says, okay, Tom, just, just sit and be still. I know, I know what needs to be said here. And I, you won't get it. You won't understand it until you're in heaven. But trust me, I will care for you in this very moment. When you don't have the words, when you can't find it in your heart to talk to God, maybe because of sadness, confusion, anger, hurt, emptiness, at that moment, you're not alone. In that moment of weakness, there's somebody who continues to groan in a way more profound than we can ever understand. And then Paul clarifies in verse 27 when he says, the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul doesn't often use the word saints in Romans. It only comes up about I think about seven or eight times, maybe nine times total, which for a book as big as Romans is not that often. But the word saint doesn't mean you're, you know, like a really good person. Okay, let's, let's make sure we get that clear right off the bat. I mean, y'all look nice this morning, but, but, you know, when you think of saints like you haven't messed it up, I know because I've messed it up that that's not what it means. But it means ones who, who are set apart, ones who, who, are, who are called out of. And it's a sense of... Um, God has a special provision for his people, that he's going to care for us in a way uh, that those who refuse to put their faith in Christ will never experience. So being a saint is all about God's grace, not about our ability to obey. That's, that's probably what I should have said at the outset. But the Spirit does what he prays for us. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit's prayers, they're always perfect. They're never hindered with a lack of understanding. Uh, They're never hindered by imperfect motives. You see, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is intensely aware of my weakness and your weakness. He's also intimately um, connected to the love of God that we have experienced through Christ Jesus, and he brings the two of those together in a way that, that we never could apart from his power. And so this is actually great news, that when the Spirit of, of God is moaning or groaning in words too deep to understand, when the Spirit of God is helping us in our weakness, it is always according to the will of God, which is of great solace for me. Because there are lots and lots of times that I, that I am either tempted to say or I say, you know what, Lord, I would not have done it this way. You know, I pray, God, my will be done <laughs> on earth as it is in heaven. Instead of thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. But the spirit isn't, isn't inhibited by that lack of faith. And so even a moment when my faith is ebbing, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit before the throne of God on my behalf is praying the perfect prayer. Paul isn't saying, friends, that the, that, that the world's not broken. Paul, Paul isn't, hasn't lost touch with reality. Paul isn't saying that the disciples of Jesus don't struggle and suffer with issues just like the rest of mankind. In fact, if you read all of Paul's writings, you would, you would know that he would be outraged at the idea of someone trivializing the pain that is in the lives of believers. He is not minimizing suffering. He is maximizing the glory of God and the care that God gives through the Holy Spirit for his children until the day that we get home. It's a bold claim, a whole lot bolder than, than Joe Namath, 
You know, everybody's, you know, going to forget that in time. But in this bold claim, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God himself, reminds us to live in the truth of our salvation. That suffering is very real, but it is momentary. And glory is eternal. Our friendship with God will last forever. We do not struggle alone. The Holy Spirit aids us every step of the way until the day we see Jesus face to face. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that when we turn to your word, we don't see a message that is separate and uh, out of touch with our world. Father, I thank you that when we turn to your word, uh, it explains to us very clearly, maybe even more than, than we comprehend and appreciate, how broken this world really is. Father, I thank you that when we turn to your word, we don't read uh, from authors who have been inspired by your spirit, who, who had lives of ease and never struggled, never suffered, and, and uh, can't understand us who do. Father, I thank you that you chose the weakness of this world. You chose weak people to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to share your truth with us. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus went to the cross for us, that he, he gave up his glory and, and his power and became, became weak in order that we could be saved so that he could pay the price for our sins. And Father, thank you that you don't leave us alone. That in the 21st century of America, in this little tiny corner of your kingdom known as Green Tree Community Church, we are not abandoned. We are not left to, to, to fight our way home if we can and, and abandon those on the roadside who don't have enough strength. But Father, that you, you care for us and you empower us and you strengthen us through your spirit. So yes, we suffer. Yes, the struggle is very real. But it is but a moment. And because of your Holy Spirit's indwelling power, you will see us safely through the struggle to an eternity of glory with you. And for this, we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.